He is risen. I know that there's some of us that don't know that response. So now that you know it, he is risen. He is risen Amen. My name is Tom. I'm the pastor here. Happy Easter once again. I am so glad that you have chosen to worship with us, whether you're here in person, if you're joining us online, because let me tell you, this is a true story. He is risen. Many of you were here just a few days ago for Good Friday. We had a traditional funeral service to remember that Jesus really died. And as part of that service, if you came and joined us for that, we all took flowers, these flowers, and we placed them on the casket. But I want you to look around, look everywhere. Do you see a casket this morning? You don't. You know why? Because he is risen. He is risen indeed. You can clap for that. And so all of those flowers that you placed on that casket are now making the altar beautiful. The casket is empty. He is risen. And when we fall into his arms of grace, we will be too. Amen? Amen. It's not my story. It's God's story. So open up God's word with me. Join us. If you didn't bring a Bible, take the one out in front of you. That's what it's there for. We're going to open up to John chapter 20. And if you don't own a Bible, I, I imagine that maybe, maybe you do, maybe you don't know where it is, take the one in front of you home. That is a Bible that we want to give to you as an Easter gift so that you have God's word wherever you go. But open it up this morning and join in together are reading John chapter 20. We're going to begin at verse 1. We'll go verses 1 through 3 and 10 through 18. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. And then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? And thinking that he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and she cried out in Aramaic, Rabbanai, which means teacher. And Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. There's this, this pesky flaw that, that all of us who consider ourselves part of the human race share some level of. It is our tendency 
to grossly overestimate certain abilities. And I, I saw this play out just a few weeks ago. I was reading an article about a poll that was taken just this past January. They asked 20,000 adults, none of which have an aviation background. That's an important detail. They asked them this poll question. How confident are you that you could safely land a passenger airplane in an emergency situation relying only on the assistance of air traffic control? I know there's a lot of kids in the room. I want you to look at the adults around you. How many of you kids think that the adults around you are capable of landing an airplane? Show of hands. All right, all right. We got, okay, maybe one, maybe one. Do you have aviation background? All right, all right. Well, well how, how about you? Just, just, we've all seen the movie play out that, that gives this story, right? right? Whether it's in the movies or maybe some of you when you're sitting in an airplane and it's about to take off, you, you kind of got that anxiety thing going on and so you sit there and you think about these terrible things, right? Like if something horrible were to happen and both the pilot and the co-pilot are incapacitated and the flight attendant gets up and says, there's no pilot on this plane, are you willing, who here is willing to try to land it? Are you the guy or the girl that would say, sure, I played Nintendo when I was growing up. I, I think I could, I could probably do it. Uh, now, let me give you the results. I'm not making this up either. You can check my work later. Almost 50% of men <laughs> said that they were either somewhat or very confident that in a pinch, they could do it. In a pinch. 50% of men. Now, that's my cohort, so I'm going to beat up on you just a little bit, okay? Every daylight savings time... When I have to go change the clocks in my house, there's at least one appliance that I have to look up on YouTube instructions on how to change the clock back an hour. But sure, I could land a Boeing 747. I'm sure. There's got to be a Wikipedia article about it somewhere, right? And, and for the record, the women, only 20% of the women said that they were confident they could do it, probably because women are smarter than men. Amen? Amen. We all, only the women said amen. I don't know why. I think most of us guys know that it's true. So the article that I read, was go, it went on, and it, it actually shared these results with an actual licensed commercial airline pilot and asked this expert, this person that's trained to do this kind of work, what are the chances that an untrained passenger would be capable of landing a passenger aircraft like a Boeing 747? His answer was, and I quote, there is a 0% chance. <laughs> there is a 0% chance. If you still don't believe me, here's a picture of a Boeing 747 cockpit. I mean, would you even know how to turn the radio on in there? <laughs> where the heating and the AC is. Friends, this is not the movies. If you have no experience flying a plane, there is no way, no chance that you're ever going to land one. And it's just one extreme example of a lot of examples that you could think about, that I could think about, where you and I are utterly, absolutely incapable of something. Some things like flying a plane or, for me, singing on key. We accept our limitations, not having hair, right? Things that we embrace because they're obvious or whatever it might be. But then there are those other limitations 
the more difficult ones that we have to cope with in order to, to wake up every morning. And so the way we do it is through what I would call hopeless, confident ignorance. Hopeless, confident ignorance. We, we don't know what we don't know. We don't realize just how hopeless our situation is. And yet we get up every morning and we put one foot in front of the other until that thing that we cannot do actually happens and we find ourselves approaching the cockpit of life with absolutely no idea where to begin. And it's in that moment that reality starts to set in. Well, friends, today's Easter, and our reading from John is about a woman by the name of Mary Magdalene, and there's no planes in the story of Easter, and yet I see her finding herself in this exact situation. She may not be approaching an empty cockpit, but she is approaching an empty tomb. And while you don't see any airplanes in the Easter story, you will see that Jesus was literally the pilot to Mary Magdalene's life. And so I want to give you just a little bit of background. There's only a very little bit. We don't know much about her at all. Uh, but we do know she's not Mary, the mother of Jesus. This is a different Mary. She's not Martha's sister, Mary. This is a different Mary. This is the, let me think of the theological term. This is the crazy Mary of the Bible. I had somebody leave church after the first service. They said, Pastor Tom, they call me the crazy one too. And I said, well, that's good. So you should read about Mary Magdalene. This is the crazy. This is the don't want to be seen in public Mary of the Bible. This is the goes to Lambeau Field wearing a Vikings or a Bears jersey. Mary of the Bible. This is the I forgot to invite her to Easter brunch. Mary of the Bible. You know who I'm talking about, or like the woman that left the last service, maybe you are that Mary. And before Mary met Jesus, which sounds like a rom-com, doesn't it? Before Mary met Jesus in Luke chapter 8, we learn, and this is serious, she was possessed by seven demons. Now, the term seven, biblically speaking, is a term that was not so much used as a number as it was used as the word for perfection, for wholeness, for completion. And so what that tells us is that when Mary met Jesus, she was wholly, completely, perfectly crazy, possessed, broken. And this is serious. Mary may very well have wandered the streets of her neighborhood, screaming at people as they walked by and foaming at the mouth, until she met Jesus. And in an instant, she went from crazy Mary to healed Mary. She went from broken Mary to redeemed Mary. She went from sinful Mary to grateful, forgiven Mary. She went from rejected Mary to accepted Mary. I, I think I would say she went to loved Mary. She became loved for the first time in her life. And it says in Luke chapter 8 that this Mary and a lot of other Marys just like her who were redeemed by Jesus, began to follow him wherever he went. And I want you to put yourself in her shoes, because we're all a little crazy. We've all fallen short, right? If you were possessed completely, whether it's by demons or cancer, 
whether it's by depression or anxiety, whether it's the unbearable weight of guilt or of your own shame, if that's you and Jesus walks in in one foul swoop, he takes all of it off of your shoulders, wouldn't you follow him wherever he went? That's what happened. It's a true story, and that's what Mary did. And that tells us that Mary was probably with Jesus a few chapters later in Luke. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus was doing more of these healings, and they accused him of being possessed not by a demon, but they accused him of being possessed by the prince of demons himself. They accused him of being powered by Satan. And I read that, and I thought, well, that's what happens, right? If you, if you said, I heard a couple of woos, if you go to Lambeau Field, and you sit next to someone in a Bears jersey, and you get beat up, that's on you. <laughs> and I know that because I'm the guy in the Bears jersey. So whoever said, woo, that's good, right? This is going to be our year, right? When you hang out with people that everyone knows are crazy, people begin to just assume that you're crazy too. You become one of them whether you are one of them or not. And, and let me be clear, Jesus was not possessed by Satan. It was the direct opposite. He came with the power of God because Jesus is God. And yet, the way he lived his life was described beautifully by a man later by the name of Paul. Paul said it this way. He said, though Jesus was God, he didn't think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave. He was born as a human being, and he appeared in human form, humbled himself in obedience to God, and died a criminal's death on a cross. Friends, Jesus was not a criminal. He wasn't possessed by demons. He never did anything wrong. He was perfect, and he perfectly loved everyone. But when he came down to us as a human being, he placed himself in a position where he too would experience all of those same situations we do. And so what did they do? They called him crazy. They called him a liar. They called him an imposter. They set him aside as guilty and eventually killed him on a cross alongside two common criminals. I was reading an article about the crucifixion just yesterday. They found uh, a person who died that way not very long ago, and it taught them more about what they know. They learned that, that one thing is that the Romans may have killed up to 500 people a day on the Roman cross. And that to this day, it's been how many years, right? It still stands as one of the most horrific ways to die. Throughout Jesus' life, he was associated with the crazy and the broken and the poor. And then in his death, he associated with the convicted and the guilty and the most publicly condemned. And, and all I can think about this year is how Mary Magdalene was watching the entire time. She was watching everything because Jesus was her pilot. He saved her. He was the one that when she was on the path to death, he picked her up, rescued her, and placed her on a path to life. But then he turned around and he took her road. While her plane was still up 30,000 feet in the air, Jesus died. And it left her and everybody else, and it probably leaves you this morning asking the question, why? Why did he have to die? Why couldn't he just come 
and cure diseases? Why couldn't he just come and teach good lessons? Why couldn't he just come and make us better people? Here's the reason he had to die. Because there's really only one thing that unites everyone. There's only one thing that unites all people. Crazy people, normal people, whatever that means. Rich people, poor people, young people, old people, married people, single people, gay people, straight people, women, men, people that are addicted to heroin and people that are addicted to TikTok. The thing that unites all of those people, Democrats and Republicans, Wisconsinites and Ukrainians, pilots and passengers, what has united every person who has ever walked the face of the planet and ever will is this three-letter word in church we call sin. And I love the definition that I was given by a counselor that I was seeing once of sin. Sin breaks relationship. You know you've sinned or someone has sinned between you and somebody else when that relationship is broken. And we are all guilty of sin. And eventually, not only does it break our relationships with each other, but it also breaks our relationship with God. God is the source of life. And so the inevitable conclusion is that no matter who you are, we will all die. You might not be considered crazy Mary, but someday you will be dead Sally, or deceased David, or six feet under Sam. And so in order to get up every morning, we all have to on some level be hopeless, confident, and Ignorant because we don't know what we don't know. And so we go about our day and we go to Easter brunch and we follow the Easter egg hunt and we do all of those things. But then I think about, because I'm a pastor and I walk with people, that there are so many of you who do know what this is like. You're like Mary too. You have been there at the door of death. You know what it feels like to grapple that truth. Maybe some of you are grappling with that right now today. And for you... It almost sounds like being on an airplane at 30,000 feet in the air and the PA comes on and the flight attendant says, the pilot is dead. Is there anyone here who can fly this plane? That's the story of Mary. Jesus died and for three days she had no idea. And so she does the only thing that she can think to do. I don't actually believe that she thinks she can fly the plane. But she goes to the cockpit anyway. I imagine her, my, my oldest son who turns 14 this week, Jacob, he loves Titanic. And so I imagine Mary going to the tomb like the musicians on the deck of the Titanic. If we're going down, we might as well play. And so she goes to the cockpit to pay her respects. I mean, after all, Jesus did heal her. It was good while it lasted. And that's the story I read to you at the very beginning. Early on, verse 1, in the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and she saw the stone had been removed from the entrance. She came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and she said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they put him. And Simon and the other disciples started for the tomb. Not only is the pilot dead, but the cockpit is empty. What happened on this plane? And it says in verse 10, after the disciples looked in and left, they went back to where they were staying. And all I can envision is Mary, sweet Mary, crazy Mary, loved Mary, forgiven Mary, sitting in a garden alone, crying outside the tomb of her Savior. 
And in verse 11, Mary stood outside the tomb, and as she cried, she bent over, and she looked inside, and she saw two angels in white, and they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they have put him. The pilot died, and and I think it's a good analogy to think of the angels like the flight attendants. They don't fly the plane, they serve the pilot and the passengers. And so you've got these flight attendants, these angels, and she's looking everywhere for the pilot, and they don't seem the least bit concerned, even though he seems to be completely gone. Verse 14, at this, they turned around, and they saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? She thought he was the gardener. She said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you put him, and I will get him. If there was ever a person who was hopeless, confident, and ignorant, it was Mary. She had no hope. She went out to that tomb that morning. She's the first one that would witness the resurrected Jesus, and she had no idea he was there when he was standing right next to her. And I ask myself why all the time. There's no answer to the reason why. The best answer I've ever read is that she has tears in her eyes. She can't see him. But I also know that as we've gone through this season of Lent at St. John's, if you're here for the first time, last six weeks leading up to this day, We've started at the beginning of the Gospel of John, the story of Jesus. There's four stories about his life. This is one of them. And throughout the Gospel of John, there are seven what we call I am statements. In, in the book of Exodus, at the, the second book of the Bible, Jesus, God gives himself a name for Israel to refer to him by. It's I am because God is I am. And then Jesus comes generations later and he fills in the blank because Jesus is God. And he says, this is what God looks like. And it's a beautiful thing. He says, I am the bread of life when you're hungry. I am the light of the world in your darkness. I am the door when you can't get in. I let you in. I am the good shepherd. I'll chase you down and bring you home. I am the resurrection and the life when you are sick. I am the vine and you are the branches. But there's one we didn't cover throughout this series, and it was the one that Jesus made when he was preparing the disciples for his death. He was very plain to them. He told them not only who he was, but he also told them what would happen on Good Friday, that he would die, and that he had to die because he was going to prepare a place for you, to prepare a place for us, and that we would know where he's going because he would come back and take us to be with him. And I love the disciple Thomas, not just because we share a name, but because I think he asks the same questions. Thomas looked at Jesus, and he said, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way through death? The one thing that we're all going to face, how do we get through it? How do we know? And Jesus makes an I am statement. He says, I am, say it with me, the way and the truth and the life. In other words... Jesus says, I'm the pilot, and I'm the plane, and I am the wind that holds it up in the air in the first place. See, what Mary didn't understand, what none of them understood, what Thomas needed to ask and still didn't understand, what you don't and won't fully comprehend until you're facing that day yourself 
is that Jesus didn't just come to, to pluck us out of pain today. He came to lead us through sin and death to the other side where sin and death is no more. There will be no funerals in heaven. Amen. And he is going to prepare a place for us to be there with him. But until that day comes, you don't know what you don't know. And so while Mary is sitting outside the tomb and she's facing death itself, nothing she knows. She was there. She heard the I am statements. She watched the healing. She heard the teachings. And yet nothing she knew about God or Jesus or any of her religious practices were enough for her to believe. And so if you struggle with belief, you are in good company with Mary. And it's the very reason why, as Jesus asks her questions, the first statement that he makes to her as the first witness to the resurrected Christ has nothing to do with teaching her something about who he is. But in verse 16, Jesus says to her one word, say it with me, Mary. He said her name. And it was then that she knew what convinced her that Jesus was real and he saved her from death had so much less to do with everything up here and it had everything to do with the simple fact that she heard his voice call her by name, Mary. And it says in verse 16 that she turned and she cried out. She knew, teacher. And then Jesus said, don't Hold on to me. I haven't ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. We know she said that much, but then it says that she told them that he had said these things to her. And I thought, what are these things that she said. Well, you know what I think she said? I think she found the disciples and she said, Jesus is alive and he called me by name. He called my name and I don't think they needed any other explanation and I don't think you do either. Because Jesus wants to call you by name as well. It's the reason I share this story at, at almost Every funeral that, that I'm a part of because I don't think in the face of death we're looking for explanations. We're looking for a Savior that will carry us through, aren't we? We're looking for the hope and the confidence that not only is God calling the name of our loved one who has gone before us because he is the way, we are also looking for God to call our name to comfort us and our tears as we stand outside what in the name of Jesus for all who believe and call upon his name will be a temporary tomb. And so what does she do? She clings to Jesus, right? As if she says, don't you ever leave me again. And then Jesus says, let me go. And I always assumed, just until yesterday actually, that the reason he says let me go is because they got work to do. <laughs> you got to go tell the world. I got to go ascend to the Father. And that's all part of it. But, 
But there was a whole other level that I realized yesterday. As I was literally putting the finishing touches on this sermon, and I was at this part in the story, I was at home, and we're running around, we're doing all the crazy things that a family with five kids does before Easter. And our 18-month-old, our youngest, Grace, and he was napping, and he woke up from his nap, and apparently he had been up for a while. And you know what an 18-month-old does, right? You You could leave them for five minutes, and they think you forgot them forever, right? And that's what it was. I heard his cry. He was very, very upset. And I walked into his room, and he leaped into my arms. And he literally would not let me go. He clung to me. Parents, you know what I'm saying? Like, I had to pee. And he wouldn't let me go. And so that's what I'm doing, right? I'm holding my 18-month-old, and he's clinging to me as if I left him forever. Do not let me go ever again. And I realized in that moment, that's why Jesus said, don't cling to me. It's not because she had to leave Jesus. It's because now that Jesus has conquered the grave, he will never let her go. He's going to come back to take us, to be with him where he is. And until then, he is so close, we don't have to cling to him because his spirit clings to us from the inside out. And if you listen, and if you close your eyes, and I want you to do that now, you will hear his voice because it is the same for you. We don't need to cling to Jesus Because when we fall into his arms, he holds you. He calls you by name. And it's why Paul says in Romans 8, I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And in him, you are too. Blessed Easter. Let's watch. This morning we run, not to a tomb, but away from it. Not to death, but to life. We run because we've seen the risen one. We run because we've witnessed your resurrection. We run because you are life. And your life is the light of all humankind. The light that shines the way to life. So we run toward the good news waiting around that corner. The astonishing miracle coming from that tomb. Where emptiness means victory. In a dark space beats death, beats my death, which surely was around that corner had you not died for me, had you not risen for me. There at the empty tomb where Mary heard her name called and I hear my name too, I raise my hands in praise. Thank you, Lord, for your great sacrifice. You have risen 